This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. Age of Vice is a novel just published this month. Now, I hate the word buzzy, which seems a little trite for a serious book, but Age of Vice was published in 20 countries simultaneously, which is hard to do for an author who isn't named, say, James Patterson. The story takes place in New Delhi, the capital of India, and it's part crime thriller, part family saga. The author is Deepti Kapoor, who spent a decade as a journalist in Delhi. And she moves the action in Age of Vice between the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. Deepti Kapoor talked this week with Parl Sagal, who's a staff writer at The New Yorker, covering literature and much more. So Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor is this really fast-paced, shadowy novel that begins at 3 a.m. on a deli street. This Mercedes has mowed down five people. The novel then jumps back and tells a story with three different points of view. There's Ajay, servant. There's Sunny, this reckless playboy. And Nada, a journalist who's caught up in the story. You know, it's, it's gauche to say that one of the reasons I'm drawn to this book is is an autobiographical element. I lived in Delhi at the same time. I remember the pace of this. I remember the pulse, the harshness, but also the wildness. I recognize this Delhi. And the book itself is this big, copious embrace of so many different kinds of storytelling. It feels like a thriller. It feels like true crime. There's there's autobiography that uh, is woven through it. And it's sort of trying to capture as many different ways of telling this story. I mean, I should mention here that I know you. Yeah. No, is, I partied with you in your 20s a yeah, little bit. Yeah. I knew this you is, in Delhi, right about the time that this yeah. novel is set. And Delhi itself is such a big, brawny character in this book. But I think for people that know Delhi, this book is like full of longing for it in a way that took my breath away. There's a section where you just conjure the winter mornings when you take the woolens out of the trunk. Tell me about the Delhi that you wanted to put on the page with this book. Yeah, I mean, Delhi is this itch I constantly need to scratch. I think it's because where I came of age 
in, in the city. I came of age in the early aughts when Delhi was transforming from this very sleepy, sedate city, post-liberalization with all the money that flowed in suddenly, with all the building that started, with all the capital, with all the global companies that started f- coming in. Gurgaon, which was farmland and is now this this. <sighs> what can I call it, Mm. monstrous city. Mm. I I wanted to capture the pain and the pleasure of living in Delhi. You know, the pleasure of driving those streets late at night, the pain that came when you realized that all those years of excess and privilege were accounted for by someone else. So that's what I was trying to get. Was it was this novel was also written as as my way of not atoning but accounting for those years. Mm. Yeah, and Delhi is a place that changes you. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's it's both extremely beautiful, but also violent. It's unjust. It's desperately unequal. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's. Like, it's a place where you think you're going to get cheated and robbed until someone does something incredibly kind <laughs> and breaks your heart. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a heartbreaking city. Yeah, yeah. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. More to come. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. I'm Roz Chast from The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. What is it about Dana-Farber that makes it such a powerful adversary against cancer? It's hundreds of Dana-Farber researchers and clinicians making new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber discoverers. At Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, nothing is as effective against cancer as a relentless succession of breakthroughs. Go to DanaFarber.org slash everywhere and see how what we do here changes lives everywhere. I think for this book, I mean, in both your books, A Bad Character and in this one, 
the style is the story for me, and the style is so different. And one of my favorite things is following novelists who change it up. But I did want to ask you about about this style. Was it a conscious choice, or was it a choice that was it was it a rhythm that started to emerge once you were already in the in these characters' lives and telling these stories? That's a really interesting question, and I think novelists always say that when they don't know the answer to questions. No, so fair. <laughs> no. but no. Um, my process is quite often quite chaotic and unpredictable. I don't, I don't plan. I make notes that I never look at again. But part of it is, I think, just your rational self playing against your subconscious, especially with the characters. Mm. It's like you you create them, and then they. And then, and then this seems like really silly. But then they do actually start doing things that you hadn't predicted. It's sometimes I think of it like artificial intelligence, where you've created a program, you've run the program, and then the characters become sentient. And <laughs> they start, um, <laughs> they gain consciousness, and then you're basically just trying to control them. And I think that happened towards the, the, the latter half of the book. It, and that's also why the style changed. Yeah, it feels inevitable, too, because like a book of this size, which I think, you know, it's it's just there's such amplitude here. And it's the product of many, many years. How 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 long were you writing this book? Well, four years. Four years. But I think it's 20 years in the right. making in terms oh, yeah. of all the stories and everything. And you you didn't write this book in India. Is that right? Were you all, where were you living when you so went to So I had just this? moved. I, I left India in 2018. I I had the idea by then. I'd started working on it, but I moved to Lisbon in Portugal, and and again it was because my husband is British. We wanted to get European residency before Brexit. We didn't have the kind of I have an Indian passport, which is not a great one. So it was actually really good to move away, and and I was full off the world, but not being in the world really helped. Say more about that. Say more. Like, were were there things that you were able to think, imagine, or say about this world that came easier because you were far away? I think I was bolder and more radical. Yeah. And I think that if I was writing it in India, it would have been a different novel. Mm. And I don't know how, Mm. but I know it. You know, Mm. I know it's just just my instinct saying that, but I, I have a very strong feeling it would have been a very different novel. Maybe it wouldn't have been as... I don't know, I, I, I hate to use this word radical, but it was just that I had, you know, I, I just didn't care so much because I really wanted to, I wanted to get it right. And I don't, I still think I haven't got it right. But yeah, being away helped. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine writing it in India. It, it would be hard to banish the feeling of all those eyes. Yeah, right. And basically, all of those, that's like, it. But you didn't represent this in this particular way. And how could you say this? And, and. You know, maybe being away allowed you some some freedom. I mean, which leads me to another question I want to ask you. I don't know if you said this to me or in an interview, but you once said around the time of your the publication of your first book that it was important for you to be apart from a scene. You didn't want to know too many writers. Yeah. You know, that it was just it was a way for you to feel brave and for you to feel free. Is that still true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it's it's really important to not hang out with other writers. Goodbye, Titi. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're yeah. critic. I'm the exception. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unless you've known people before you became a writer. Mm. So then that doesn't, you know, that disqualifies you anyway. So I think it's because I just, I like to hang out with, 
you know, and hopefully none of the people I steal from are going to be listening to this, but just people who don't actually, you know, who have these very interesting lives. Mm. And they could be anyone. They could be DJs or they could be party people. I often hang out with drivers. They tell me all kinds of crazy stories. And then if you hang out with other writers, where are you going to get the stories from? (laughs) So. What are you going to steal yeah. unnoticed from? But we've, we've talked about stealing. We've talked about spying and looking and listening mm-hmm. and, and, and gathering. Yeah. And you, um, you know, you've, you, you've returned to, uh, I mean, it's strange to talk about crime as if it's like a special topic when you're talking about Delhi because crime is so foundational yeah. <laughs> in Delhi. Like it's not, an, it's not something that you're bringing into the story. It's there. You look at any story, it's going to be a story of corruption, it's going to be a story of something like this. But one of the things I was curious about is, you know, when you're speaking to people now in America and you're speaking to journalists and and you're seeing reviews, are American readers noticing or alighting upon something different than Indian readers are? Oh, absolutely. Tell me. So Americans just love the hero's journey and that's Ajay. So it's all about Ajay. And, and this has been happening. It's not just Americans, it's the Europeans as well. Mm. Uh, I've also been working on an adaptation with FX, and all the TV people are obsessed with Ajay. Uh, Indians, not so much. They're they're looking at it as a as a story that plays out in in modern India. It's a story about corruption, about power, about what's going on right now, the relationship between mafias and the state. So so they're much more interested in the the themes. It's it's very interesting, actually. I never. I never imagined this response and this this difference in the response. And I think Indians are rightfully suspicious of um, Indian writers who 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 they th- think are writing for the West. Mm-hmm. So so you know you have to convince them that it's not just a book written for the West. And how does one begin to do that? I have absolutely no <laughs> idea. I don't know. I just hope I've 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 you know, I've managed to please a few mm. readers in India. Mm. Mm. Can't say. With Neda, I think, in certain ways, there might be the most overlap. And I, and I suppose there is, but I would love to know a little bit more about how your own work as a journalist informed informed the writing of this particular book. Did it help? Was it helpful? Was it something that you had to unlearn also? Because journalism does teach us ways of thinking and ways of presenting information. How was that for you? I, I was a bad journalist. <laughs> so there you go. I, I spent a lot of time driving in my car, apparently trying to figure out what was going on in the city, which I did. I think what I was good at was just observing people and disappearing in a space and then just just being there. But I'm not very good at doggedly kind of like pursuing a story. You know, I'd rather just hang out with people and be in a state of being than than actually pursue that story, which is why I think I'm a better I'm better at writing fiction than nonfiction. I mean one of the things I think your book does so well is it it looks at how you know, new power relations are coming into countries like India and subverting some old relationships, strengthening others, monkeying with it in all kinds of ways, you know. And it's the sort of thing that, you know, one could easily, you know, write an op-ed about, write an essay about. Um, What does the novel allow you to do? 
I think it allows me to tell a story, mm. but not the story, you know? Yeah. And, and I think if it allows me, if it allows me to create these characters for which, you know, someone can feel empathy for, someone can imagine the world, even for a few hours, you know, someone who has absolutely no idea, maybe, and, and learns, I mean, I, I hate, I hate to use that word, learning, because that's not what the novel is about, right? <laughs> it's tricky because I, I, I mean, again, to use another word that I don't think you would ever use, but you're trying to, you're trying to rouse people or wake them, but not in, in not in that kind of uh, usual way. Like it's, I don't know, I don't know. I Implicate mean, them, maybe involve yeah, them. Yeah, I think so. You know, maybe indict them, indict them, entrap them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think that that's that's more appropriate and. I had that awakening um, when, after the Jyoti Singh rape and murder and the and the subsequent protests, I was sort of shaken. Yeah, this is the gang rape of Jyoti Singh in yeah. 2012 12. on the bus. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like it was this moment for India, like similar to maybe the Manson murders. And, you know, some, something happened, something shifted. Mm. And I remember thinking that I wasn't interested in just writing these solipsistic novels anymore. I had to I had to kind of like get involved, mm. you know, mm. and and find a way to write about what was happening. Mm. So if I can do that, then that's 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 for me it's a part success. Is the language also part of it? Like this book is very inviting, you know, and it keeps you reading. And I was thinking about the relationship between and, and it's almost like a queasy balance between how entertaining it is and the difficult truths it has to tell, you know? And I was wondering what it would be like to sit with that and just to say, like, I have to share these scenes. I have to, and I have to keep you with me. You yeah, and, and that's when it becomes challenging because that's when, you know, you could just be tempted to just be like, I'm going to tell Ajay's story and I'm going to make it this big adventure sort of novel about this young boy and then how he rises up the ranks and then he, and then this happens and then he gets revenge. But I just didn't want to do that. And that's when it does become challenging because you're trying to find a way to incorporate all the other things you want to say. And while at the same time you want to keep it propulsive, you want to keep it thrilling, but it's not a, it's not like a thriller. So so it's it's always very interesting for me when 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 it's being sold as one. Why isn't it a thriller? Okay, it's a political thriller. <laughs> I, ch- <laughs> I take that back. It's a you thriller. <laughs> Everyone buy it. It's a thriller. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Diti. Thanks for having me, Parul. It's a real pleasure to speak with you. Carl Sagal, who's a staff writer and critic at The New Yorker, speaking with novelist Deepti Kapoor. Age of Vice came out this month. I'm David Remnick. That's our program for today. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards, with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Frida Green, Adam Howard, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, Louis Mitchell, and Ngofen Mputabuele, with guidance from Emily Botin and assistance from Harrison Keithline, Mike Kutchman, and Meher Bhatia. 
the New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.